It's summertime. Time to have fun in the sun and get laid in the shade. But you may want to stay out of the water. Because deep down, something may be lurking. Whether the product of a nuclear experiment, a cavern of prehistoric sea creatures that gets unlodged by an earthquake, or just a really fucking huge-ass shark, there are all kinds of things in the water ready to eat your face off. Well, according to the movies, that is. So sit back, apply some sunscreen, and keep those toes out of the ocean for our Man and Woman Against Nature finale on Underwater Slaughter. Slums of Film History, a lowbrow look into the high art of cinema. Every episode is an in-depth look into a niche topic of film that is not normally discussed in polite company. I'm Slate. And I'm Tom. And each week one of us researches our respective topic, writes an episode, and schools the other. We discuss everything from Satanists to avenging hookers to castration. If there's a film subject too taboo, we haven't found it yet. Welcome. Hi, Tom. Hey, Slate. How are you? Oh, man, I'm great. All right, this is it. Last episode. I know. The last episode of the season. Yeah. It's crazy. Season two. I know. So this one is the closest I've ever cut to not being finished on time. I was still writing this on the way to come meet you last night. Welcome to my world. I know. Well, I'm actually glad that I decided on this one because I was really struggling on what my last episode was going to be. I remember. We talked about it, yeah. And you know me, a planner. I always know everything, you know, six months in advance. So I've had so much fun with this one. I love underwater slaughter movies. I just never really knew whether it should be about sharks or whether it should be I don't know I just never really knew kind of like how to pull it off so right, yeah I'm pretty pumped about this there's a lot of information in here though well I'm excited about this one too because by the time these come out this will be well into summer right and this is a good summer theme and we kind of killed off our last season with the Christmas theme and right and we ended right before Christmas so I like how we're ending on a summer high note too. yeah should, I think it's going right into August and so it'll Dog hopefully summer. scare the shit out of you and you I won't want to so. go in the water excellent Ready to start? Oh, hell yeah. Okay, so this episode is all about underwater things that eat or kill people. Gotcha. But I want to set some ground rules. Otherwise, this episode would be eight hours long. Mm Mm-hmm. First, I'm not going to talk about any dinosaurs or really prehistoric sea things that kind of don't exist now. Okay. All right. No Gojira? Uh, No Gojira. So those types of things would be like Jurassic World. You know, that monster that comes out of Jurassic World. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Not that. Or like any movie. There's that movie where Brendan Fraser gets in the Earth's crust and there's like dinosaurs or something for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not talking about any of that. I'm not talking about dinosaurs today. I'm not going to talk about amphibian people like Swamp Thing or Creature from the Black Lagoon. Okay. Um, Because those were people in costumes and those things were kind of made up. I'm only talking about things that exist or 
could exist, like sharks, crocodiles, piranhas, jellyfish, crabs, etc. All right, crabs. There are a few weird hybrids, and I'm going to probably allow the hybrids, I think, but we're definitely not talking about Sharknados, because those are made-for-TV movies, and as a slums rule, we kind of don't really talk about made-for-TV movies. It's really only... Except I do that all the time. But yeah, but I I know, I know. Well, I don't. Cinematic movies. Movies that play the cinema, yeah. Does that all make sense? Yeah, it does. I had to set some rules No, that's fine. I I do that all the time. There is some crossover. I got some honorable mentions at the end. I'm excited. All right. Okay, so let me start by saying that things coming out of the water to eat us is not a new thing. No. Giant aggressive sea creatures existed millions of years before us. The first sharks are at least 450 million years old, whereas humans are only two and a half million. Some of the most famous of cave paintings featured sharks, and cave paintings were only around from about 500 BC. So they've been terrorizing us for a pretty short period of time when you think about how long they've been on Earth. Right. Horseshoe crabs are about 450 million years old as well. Alligators are about 37 million years old. So you get the point. They were like here first. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Among the first of written recordings of bloodthirsty sea creatures was in the Bible, the story of Jonah and the whale. And there was also Moby Dick in 1851 about a man with a personal vendetta against a whale and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea in 1870. That was a government-led mission to find and kill a sea monster. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is unlike some topics that movies invented, so things like Hagsploitation or Hooker Vengeance or the gimmicks of William Castle, underwater slaughter was well-marked territory well before movies even existed. Gotcha. So speaking of Moby Dick, the first film I could find about an underwater slaughter is Sea Beast from 1926. Sea Beast. Sea Beast, which was actually an adaptation of Moby Dick, and it was starring John Barrymore. Yeah. It was a silent film, of course, it was from the 20s, um, but it was crazy successful, even though reportedly John Barrymore was basically either drunk or hungover the entire time. Awesome. It was so successful that it was remade four years later with John Barrymore again as Ahab, but this time with dialogue. No one gets eaten by the whale, but the whole plot is that Ahab is trying to kill the whale that ate his leg. Yeah. In 1930, a movie called The Sea Bat centered around a huge killer manta ray that chases boats and kills people. Manta rays are extremely passive, but I guess not this one. The whole manta rays or murderers <laughs> seem to catch on for a little while in a movie called Devil Monster, followed in 1936. Don't you love how literal these titles are? Well, I love Sea Bat. Yeah, Sea Bat. <laughs> Movies like this were more of adventure movies as opposed to horror movies, but Devil Monster was actually recut in 1946 and released as an exploitation film. They spliced in footage of native Tahiti topless women, since the production code at the time allowed for boobs if they were native boobs. Wow. So Devil Monster actually has some like 1946 native titties in it. So was this... I didn't put it in nudity because I didn't know about yeah, this piece. Yeah, I've but never heard it. Never heard of this. I've never heard of this yeah. either. That's but crazy. They, yeah, they took a movie that was 10 years old, recut just some B-roll footage of titties in it, and then <laughs> released it, and the production code couldn't do anything about That's it. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, there's a few others in the late 30s and mid 40s, but I'm going to skip ahead because we've got a lot to talk about. Yeah. Um, the 1950s are on the horizon. I'm excited about the 50s. Yeah, and, and the 50s were kind of like the golden age of monster movies. Skipping to the 50s, Hollywood churned out a ton of underwater slaughter films. Okay. Among the first was obviously 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea in 1954 from Disney. The motion picture screen explodes with unprecedented power as the two masters of imagination, Jules Verne and Walt Disney, join to bring you a shattering new experience in entertainment. 
20,000 Leagues was a huge, big-budget, Technicolor, Cinemascope family movie about a sea expedition that goes on a hunt to find a sea monster that is rumored to be, like, fucking shit up in the ocean. Yeah. It actually turns out to be a submarine boat thing, so it's not actually a sea monster, but there is a huge squid attack uh, scene. Do you remember this? Yeah, I do. Yeah, it's it's well really done. the best time. part, yeah. yeah. And to stay in your memory as the most thrilling sequence ever photographed in motion picture history... The terrifying battle with the giant squid. So the squid attacks the ship. It comes out of the water and gets all tentacly and grabs the character Nemo. But Kirk Douglas harpoons it in the face and kills it. It's a super fascinating scene. Yeah. Um, but here's something you may not have known. That scene was completely redone after the movie was almost completed and edited. No, I didn't know that. Turns out making a realistic giant squid machine was kind of hard. And it looks super, super fake in the original scene. So they reshot it all at night in the middle of a storm. It was set, you know, but they darkened it, you know, put a big storm set in there. Yeah. And it helped hide the wires that maneuvered the tentacles. And you can actually see the original scene. They released it. So the original scene was like done in a sunset. And it just like super bad, super, oh, super really fake. Bad? Yeah. And you can find it online. So we'll put it on the website. The, the scene I remember is good, though. It was it was scary. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. The squid scene was easily the most exciting scene in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and the movie as a whole was a huge hit. Mm -hmm. So naturally, a slew of Me Too's came out in the mid-50s. The first, Monster from the Ocean Floor, from 1954, was actually the first film Roger Corman produced. We talked about Roger Corman a lot, and I'm thinking about doing a full episode on him next season, but in short, he was probably like the king of exploitation oh, films. Yeah. Every time a big movie was popular, he quickly and cheaply ripped it off and got it into theaters in a matter of months. And we mean every fucking, every movie. Yeah. Monster from the Ocean Floor is about an American woman that is visiting Mexico where a sea monster is attacking the locals. It nabs a few people and a cow, and at the end you see it when, of course, a man has to rescue her because she's a woman who faints every time she's confronted with a problem. <laughs> um, anyway, it turns out to be a giant, one-eyed, multi-tentacled squid that walks on its tentacles on the ocean floor. Oh, nice. That makes sense only because when you see it underwater, they clearly filmed it on land in a studio and then put like, I guess it was like Vaseline, like on the lens. Like the water effects in front of it or yeah, something. Yeah, like like... I thought maybe like they put like plastic wrap in front of it and dribbled water down. I don't know. To right, make right. it look like it matched the underwater footage of the fainting lady, which it totally doesn't. So I'm going to show you the clip of it. Okay, I'm, all right. All right. So that's her underwater. Okay, yeah, that's She's her. scared. I mean, as she should be. That's <laughs> terrible. It doesn't. Yeah. It's not even close. No, it's not even like really it doesn't close. even look like these were filmed on the same planet, really. No. Yeah, that was pretty awful. They have glowing feet. Was that was they lit up or something? What I think. What I think it was was that it was a puppet that was on strings, mm. and so it has all these tentacles. The tentacles are on strings, and then they just move. You know, pulled the strings gotcha. up, and it's really bad. It. I mean, it was really shitty. Yeah. yeah. Funny that we should mention poorly working tentacle monsters because Ed Wood's Bride of the Monster had similar issues. You remember Ed Wood? Oh, yeah. yeah. Bride of the Monster was supposed to have a giant octopus that came out of the water and attacked people, namely Bella Lugosi, at the end of the film. But when Ed Wood stole it from Republic Studios, they forgot to get the motor that ran it. So it just lays on the ground, partially out of water, while Lugosi rolls around feebly on it. <laughs> like, it literally could not have looked worse if they tried. Right. Like, it was the worst. It, it looked horrible. And also, I feel like every movie that Lugosi was in 
of Ed Woods, he just rolled around helplessly. That yeah. seemed like he did that in every one. I think of he was movies. like a heroin addict. Oh, yeah, he was he was point. he was strung out, yeah. So this was recreated in the Tim Burton directed movie Ed Wood in nineteen ninety-four right. with Martin Landau, who won an Oscar for playing Bella Lugosi. But here's the fun fact. The movie that used the working octopus was Wake of the Red Witch from nineteen forty-eight. And in that movie, John Wayne goes underwater to get a treasure chest and sees a giant octopus. He gets away. The octopus doesn't even really seem like very interested in him. But then he goes back down and stabs the octopus in the face a bunch and kills it <laughs> for like no reason. <laughs> He's just an asshole. It's just like. He's like, you know what? That octopus looked at me weird. Right. I'm going to fuck his day up. Dick move, Brad. What a dick, man. The underwater slaughter movies continued to pour out through the 1950s with titles like It Came From Beneath the Sea in 1955, which was also about a giant octopus that takes down the Golden Gate Bridge. Yep. Then there was The Monster That Challenged the World in 1957, which was a giant mollusk worm thing that ate people. Nice. Attack of the Crab Monsters from 1957 was another Roger Corman movie about two radioactive giant crabs that could speak telegraphically in the voices of the people they eight for some reason i can't believe i missed that one for toxic waste Mm -hmm. oh well corman followed that up with attack of the giant leeches from 1959 about two giant leeches that crawl out of their underwater florida cave to eat people that's lovely and then came the 60s as we talked about as we talk about frequently the 60s brought a lot of change to film specifically to the horror genre which we talked about a few weeks ago with william castle Hitchcock's Psycho brought a pretty big halt to the monster movies of the 50s. They just seemed super stupid super after Psycho point. came out. Yeah. So whereas giant crab monsters and radioactive squid were part of the 50s atomic era, the 60s started with horror and suspense films that focused around psychological horror. That makes sense. So movies like that were Peeping Tom, Eyes Without a Face from 1960, Cape Fear from 1962, yeah. and Polanski's Repulsion from 65. Adventure films like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea had a brief resurgence in the 1960s. Steve Irwin, he was the guy that did Towering Inferno and Poseidon Adventure. Yeah, so yeah. big budget disaster, disaster films. Movies, yep. He directed and produced Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea in 1961. It's mostly an underwater submarine story, but again, there's a giant squid. Giant squids were a big thing back then, if yeah, you hadn't were. noticed. Yeah. And then, of course, Samuel Fuller was supposed to release an underwater adventure story with sharks called Kane starring Burt Reynolds. I've heard of this one. Uh huh. So last episode we talked about this in Dead on Set, where the movie was supposed to be called Kane with Burt Reynolds. Instead, a stunt double got got eaten by a shark. shark. Yeah, the shark and was then, supposed to be sedated. And then Troma released the movie. They recut it. They called it Shark! Exclamation point. Mm-hmm. Used the publicity around the death to kind of drum up attention for the movie. Samuel Fuller hated it. You know, they yeah. turned his probably pretty good adventure movie into a shitty shark movie. I think he pushed to get his name removed and the studio wouldn't let him well of course it's trauma so they're like fuck you fuck we do you. whatever we want yeah speaking of sharks mm-hmm. jaws dropped like a an fucking ton atom of bricks. bomb yeah, yeah 1975 <laughs> now considered to be one of the greatest films ever made which i said is totally legit jaws the movie that we were supposed to see and the jaws the movie we actually saw were two very very different things True that. a quick history the writer of jaws peter benchley was actually a struggling non-fiction writer that could barely pay his bills when he came up for the idea for the book he was fascinated by the story of frank mundus the fisherman who caught a 4,500 pound shark off of Montauk, Long Island in 1964. Damn. That's crazy. That's very bad. That's a big fucking shark, man. 
He imagined a story about a shark attack in a small beach town, but then after that, the shark just kept coming back and wouldn't go away. And and that's how he sold the book to the publishers. When it was done, Universal bought it and asked Steven Spielberg to direct it after the success of his TV movie, Duel. Have you ever seen Duel? Duel's good. So good. I really yeah. liked it a lot. It's about a giant truck, and this movie was about a giant shark, so it made sense, it made that, sense. that this yeah. was the right guy for the job. Yeah. And that's when the problem started. The plan was to build a giant mechanical shark that could work in the open since Steven Spielberg wanted to shoot on location instead of on a Hollywood lot. Right. And probably everyone knows this, but the mechanical shark failed like a million times. It didn't work for shit. Yeah. They ended up putting the woman that died in the opening scene on wires and pulling her back and forth instead of having a shark in the scene. The scene where Brody's son almost gets eaten, but Jaws takes the fisherman instead. The original scene was cut to show a lot less of the shark. Jaws was holding the fisherman in his open mouth and blood was spraying all out of it, but it looks super, super fake in the end. Right. A lot of the scenes look super fake when they started editing, so they just cut all all around the shark and pretended like they did it on purpose. Mm-hmm. The second the studio saw it, they knew they had like a major movie on yeah. their hands. The plan that studios usually did at this time was to open a good big movie in a small market with limited theaters and then expand across the U.S. throughout a series of months, giving good movies time to build steam and word of mouth. Right. If they knew they had a stinker, they opened it really big all at the same time so that the negative reviews wouldn't have time to resonate before people saw it. But when they saw Jaws, they knew that they had a you know big giant film, so they widened the release and at the time gave it the biggest release that they had ever done, which was 400 screens in June, along with a national TV trailer campaign. It was very new at the time. Yeah. By August, the number of theaters had more than doubled, and what was meant to be a stupid shark exploitation adventure movie ended up being, at that time, the highest grossing movie of all time. Yeah. On that note, wasn't it the first summer blockbuster? It was. That- like, studios never really thought about, hey, maybe if we release it when school's out, we can make a shitload of money. Right. I guess they never thought of that before. No, it was, I mean, and that's the interesting thing about the strategy of releasing a film at that time, you know, because now you think, oh, if you got a big giant movie, then they release it in as many theaters across the U.S. as possible. And this way they did it the opposite way. They tried to let a movie build out because, of course, there was no home video back then. So it wasn't like, get the movie out in theaters, get as many people just to go see it, and then everybody that doesn't go see it can get it on home video, have the second chance or get it on VOD. It was like they tried to kind of push out the release and make it last as long as possible to milk all the money they could get out of the theaters right. you know i'm not going to spend the whole episode talking about jaws because it's well-worn territory yeah but i want to bring up one thing that people always forget to talk about when they talk about jaws when spielberg saw this script he wanted it rewritten because while he liked the third act he didn't find the characters likable or compelling and that was a problem that he also had when he read the book He loved the shark and he loved the small town politics, but he had a number of rewrites done on the characters to make sure that he had a smart and interesting story that then once you inserted a shark into, you had an adventure. Most monster movies start with a big dumb monster and then the story is written around it. He did the opposite, which is why once all the shitty shark footage was scrapped because it looked so bad, he still had a really great movie. Right. So just saying. Right. It's all about character. Yeah. You're going to need a bigger boat. If we've learned anything from Slums of Film History, it's once a successful good movie comes out, the shitty knockoffs follow. Oh, yes. 
In this case, it would take a little while longer than normal to get one of these made, considering you needed a giant mechanical sea creature that actually worked, and yeah. of course a June release date. Not waiting for either of those was Mako Jaws of Death the following July. Oh, nice. The story was about a man who was trying to protect the murder of sharks by being in a mysterious shark cult. <laughs> Even the trailer took a shot at Jaws, saying it was all filmed with all real sharks, none of them in cages or mechanical. Goodness. The following year in 1977 saw Orca, the killer whale. Fucking Orca, man. <laughs> pretty much a direct ripoff of yeah. Jaws. It has some pretty memorable scenes, namely a pretty upsetting bloody whale miscarriage. Ugh. And the screen debut of Bo Derek, who Orca bites the leg off of. It's pretty universally panned, although it was probably too quickly dismissed as a ripoff without anyone really watching it. It's kind of an enjoyable movie. I remember watching it. I mean, it, it is enjoyable. It's kind of bad. But also, Orca was like out for revenge. Like, yeah. this was, well, I know you're going to talk about another yeah, movie. No, don't, don't but bust. I'm not going to ruin yeah. it for you. But I'm okay. just saying this seemed like a precursor to that one. Uh-huh, yeah. Okay. So there was also Tentacles in 1977 with another giant octopus and Tintotera, Killer Shark, which was the Mexican Jaws featuring a killer tiger shark. Then there was Barracuda in 1978 and Killer Fish. Oh, nice. There's more knockoffs still to come. Oh, I know. Um, But of course, not wanting to lose a buck, Universal released Jaws 2 for summer 1978. And compared to the next two sequels, it ain't half bad. It's not that bad. Yeah. It's, it's kind of forgettable, but yeah. yeah. Had a good tagline. Just when you thought it was, it was safe, safe to, to go, go back, back in into the water. the water. Yeah. yeah. So some of the original cast came back, and after firing the first director, Jano Swark sure. was brought in after making Bug, which we talked about in episode 22 oh, on Bug. William Castle. William yeah, Castle that was movie, the yeah. movie he made before that. Awesome. So rough plot, another huge shark comes to the same town and does the same thing, and they kill it at the end, just like they did in the first one. Right. But they there were a couple good moments, though. Jaws 2 takes down a water skier, and then the driver accidentally blows up the boat. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, What's really interesting is, though, in the boat, Jaws 2 was harmed. The real shark, Jaws 2, was uh, was harmed. And so in the rest of the movie, whenever he shows up, he's got an all burnt up face or whatever, which gives him a little bit more of an edge to Jaws 1. Right. Uh, They took a jab at Orca by showing a dead Orca on the beach that apparently Jaws 2 had, like, kicked in the ass. Also, Jaws 2 takes down a motherfucking helicopter at the end. Do you remember this? No, I don't. Oh, he jumps up and, like, bites it or does something to it. I think the helicopter yeah it's like one of those that a ha- copter yeah like he takes land down on a helicopter yeah that's pretty hardcore yeah it's a decent sequel then came the awful jaws 3 in 1983 <laughs> which is universally considered one of the worst sequels ever 3d was getting a little bit of a second wind and universal wanted in on that action it's been a while. I didn't watch it for this, but it's I bad. used to watch it back on back on TBS. I think in the day, it's there's like a theme park, like a Sea World type that Sea World theme park. It's actually Sea World. Yeah, okay. it's represented as Sea World. Right, SeaWorld. and Jaws three gets in it, and he like busts it all up. I just remember that it had like the lamest green screen effects. Like they didn't even bother with a mechanical shark. It just looked like a flat gif of a shark. Yeah. And then they just ran that over underwater footage. Well, this was Jaws 3D. Right. It was Jaws 3, but in the movies, it was Jaws 3D. 3D. Yeah. yeah. It's seriously one of the shittiest effects I've ever seen. Oh, it's the worst effect ever. It was terrible. This movie was god awful. And Frances McDermott was in it, God help her. Oh, really? Yeah, poor thing. Interesting. Yeah, she was in it, yeah. It tanked at the box office. That's a pun, kind of. It tanked. Tanked at the box office. And everyone just assumed that that was the end of the Jaws sequels. Too bad it Uh wasn't. Everybody was wrong, yeah. 
For some crazy unknown reason, Jaws the Revenge got made in 1987, (laughs) even though nobody was asking for a fourth one. Nobody was. They rightfully pretended Jaws 3 never happened, and they focused on Brody's wife from the first and second Jaws. Fun fact, you know this about her? She was the wife of Universal top executive Sidney Scheinberg. Did not know this. So she was the first person cast in the original Jaws. She was the wife of an executive. Nepotism. Mm -hmm. She wasn't bad in those movies. No, she was fine. She's fine. Yeah, yeah, she's fine. In the beginning, Jaws the Revenge eats one of her sons, and the leftover son takes her to Bahamas since she's convinced the shark is coming to eat the rest of her family. (laughs) I know you know this, Mm -hmm. but for anyone that's listening, I'm not making this next part up. This was a legit movie sequel that was in theaters. Like, this was a real movie. They released this movie in theaters. This was a real thing. This was not a joke. This was not a... No. This was a real movie. Legit sequel to right. Jaws. They weren't kidding. And so Jaws the Revenge follows her to the Bahamas to pick off the rest of the family. Right. A shark that lives and has always lived in the chilly Atlantic Ocean off of Massachusetts yep. follows an airplane to the Bahamas in like one day. An animal that has the brain the size of like my hand. Right. Swims after 2,000 miles. Stalking this lady. Right. To eat the rest of Roy Schneider's family. family. Because this time it's, it's personal. personal. That's a terrible movie, God. Even to me, I mean, we talk about a lot of shitty movies, and we talk about a lot of movies where we're telling the plots and we can't even keep a straight face because they're so stupid. But this was not a joke in any way. Like, this was a real movie. No, this had, yeah. They they had union people work long hours on this movie. A few other things. She apparently has some kind of telepathic connection to the shark, kind of. (laughs) Although they never really try to explain it, which is kind of a shame because it's already so dumb that this would only really help the movie i feel like I think. Yeah. shark whisperer right? right like if the yeah, if the producers were like no one will believe that she has full-blown esp with a shark so let's just imply it instead like they did it in right. injustice you know we were all ready to believe that it swam two thousand miles in like one day so why yeah. not just have her be a shark psychic that'd be know? awesome yeah actually that that wouldn't be so bad Anyway, the shark can also roar like a lion, non-ironically, and I shark is the shark lady. <laughs> At the end, it's like <laughs> like a few times. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> I forgot the shark roar. <laughs> And she, ESP lady, keeps having these flashbacks to the first movie, except she's not in most of the scenes that she's having flashbacks to. So she's just flashbacking to, like, a movie (laughs) that she wasn't... She flashbacks to, like, the boat scene, like, out in the middle of the ocean. She wasn't in the boat. I I know. (laughs) (laughs) uh, To make matters even worse, I wrote, it's kind of a boring movie. It's not very It's just not... There's not enough good... There's there's one decent death. It has a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, it's not bad enough to be awesomely bad. Right. It's It's just plain bad yeah yeah but are you gonna spoil the ending you can spoil it anything okay you want i don't remember anything else except that she was finally i feel like she was gonna go mono to mono with That's the shark she took the boat out herself she took the boat out herself and i think she impaled it on the boat she did and somehow. it went 
Sharks cannot roar like lions. They're underwater creatures. But also the shark jumps out of the water. Like it it propels itself out of the water. She impales it on the boat. I mean, she didn't really do anything except have flashbacks to scenes she wasn't in. Right, but she impaled it on the boat. It was really stupid. It was very anticlimactic. Like it just, it sucked. Everything about it was was just a shitty movie. One of the knockoff movies that actually made some money was Piranha in 1978. (laughs) Piranha. Yeah. I actually didn't realize that Roger Corman produced it. Oh, you didn't? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Until I started researching. He comes up so many times in this episode. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the reason it didn't come out for three years is he couldn't get anyone to give him the money for such a blatant and comedic ripoff of Jaws, especially since the sequel was right around the corner. Mm-hmm. And rightfully so, since Universal was just about to serve an injunction to Roger Corman, except Steven Spielberg saw the movie and <laughs> thought it was pretty good. So they ceased. Oh, that's fine uh, to know that they were almost gonna... It was right before the sequel came out and they were like fuck this fuck piranha and steven spielberg's like nah let him have his movie yeah it's pretty good that's kind of cool yeah it's a rough plot there's a military area where a strain of super piranhas has been created to be used as weapons in the vietnam war but forgotten after the war ended it happens they escape into a stream that leads to a kid's camp and chaos ensues <laughs> since this is a b movie corman pulled out all the stops including titties which spielberg never would have shown well he showed a little bit but yeah kind of there's no real titties jaws is pg rated movie yeah well she's naked but like you can you can see your nakedness under the water corman shows some titties of course he shows yeah. corman he shows yeah. of course the effects are shit like they of use course. puppets on sticks and just shook them in frame <laughs> to nice. simulate the biting and the plot is kind of complicated considering all anyone cares about are piranhas exist in america and they eat kids but even so it was a huge success made for less than a million and grossing 16 million at the box office wow. yeah it has a 72 percent on rotten tomatoes and most critics call it the best and most enjoyable of the jaws knockoffs wow i have to watch it again there was also piranha 2 the spawning <laughs> which was actually directed by wait for it no, i know it you know go, it yes. gotta say it james cameron that's right yeah it's complicated, but like Jaws 2, Piranha 2 had similar problems, and eventually James Cameron, who was the special effects guy, replaced the original director, Miller Drake. Apparently, the film's producer made most of the calls on set and even edited the film, much to James Cameron's dismay. I've never seen it. All I know is that it's about piranhas that fly. Yeah, they were like genetically mutated to fly. I watched a little bit online, but it's a shitty copy. Yeah. I mean, it's a shitty movie, too. Yeah. You know, back to your thing real quick. I bet one of the reasons why Spielberg probably didn't give a shit about the Corman thing is because, believe it or not, like a lot of people really liked Corman. They liked Corman because he was one of the few producers that would give anybody a shot. Right, yeah. I mean, that was James Cameron's first movie. Right. And and Corman produced the sequel, right? I mean, yeah. it was, so a lot of these people, their first start was in a Corman movie. And I think it's just like he always gave somebody a shot and they, they were able to springboard from that. So I think he's just always been kind of beloved in the industry for that. And that's why I think I might do my episode on him next yeah, season. I think you yeah, there's a, even when I was just kind of, you know, briefly looking through this, there's like a chart of all the people that Roger Corman like discovered and gave shots to. And it's a lot of really it's famous people. a lot people. of famous people, yeah. yeah. So anyway. All right, we've talked about sharks and squids and crab monsters. Let's take a break and talk about alligators and crocodiles. Nice. Another kind of Jaws ripoff, but not quite, was Toby Hooper's Eaten Alive from 1977. Yeah. Toby Hooper was coming off of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and was inspired by the story of Joe Ball, a man in Texas that ran a bar and had an alligator pit out back. This is in real life, not the movie. Mm -hmm. Apparently, a bunch of women went missing in that town, and when they went to go question Joe Ball, he killed himself. They found meat in the alligator pit, but it was never proven nor disproven to be human meat. Wow. So that's what Eaten Alive is about. Based on. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
So then there was Alligator in 1980. We talked about this in Toxic Ways. Yes, we did, yeah. Alligator was directed by Louis Teague, who later directed Cujo from our Rabies episode, and was kind of a black comedy about a little girl that flushed her pet baby alligator down the toilet. Yeah. It eats dead animals in the sewer who have been fed growth hormones, so it grows to be 36 feet and starts needing bigger food, i.e. humans. Yeah. It's actually a pretty great movie. It's good. Um, that has a crazy scene towards the end where the alligators goes batshit on a high-end wedding party. Remember the scene? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bloodbath. Like, no, it's, it a, it's is, a complete bloodbath. It's bath. upsetting. Yeah. Like, especially for a movie made in 1980. It lives 50 feet beneath the streets. It's 36 feet long. It weighs over 2,000 pounds. And it's about to break out. Alligator. Like, that alligator fucks up everything. Well, yeah, and there's a scene where these kids are playing a prank on this other kid. This is a scene that fucked me up. Uh And so they're going to blindfold them and throw them in the swimming pool (laughs) and (laughs) put the alligators in there. So they throw this kid in there and the alligator just, like, eats him in one... Yeah. Um, There was a sort of sequel remake in 1991, but I don't think it did much. No. Um, It was a while before another big crocodile movie, not including Crocodile Dundee. I'm not even talking about those movies. Um, (laughs) But it was pretty major when it happened. There was a short resurgence of giant monster movies in the late 90s with Anaconda and the remake of Godzilla with Puff Daddy as Godzilla. Uh, That's the way I remembered it in my head. but um, Mine too. Shared memory. That movie was Lake Placid in 1999. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. With Betty White. Uh Uh-huh, that's right. It was a pretty shitty movie about a giant giant alligator that Betty White has been feeding kind of on the DL um, and lying about its existence. It eats a bunch of people and pulls down a helicopter also. It was a critical flop, mostly for its failed attempted comedy, but it was a big financial success, eventually producing four sequels, including a crossover with Anaconda. Remember this? It's like Anaconda versus Lake Placid. Oh, really? Yeah. TV movies. Yeah, Of course. Sci-fi, I guess. There have been a few other alligator crocodile movies. Do you know the difference between an alligator and a crocodile? No. Me neither. Although most of them have been independent and or foreign. Rogue from 2007 was an Australian film where a group of tourists get stranded on an island where the tide is coming in and a giant crocodile is lurking. I liked Rogue. I did too. It's pretty pretty brutal. Well, it's by the guy who did Wolf Creek. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah it's good, yeah. I liked Rogue, yeah. Yeah. Black Water from 2008 is an Australian movie where tourists get stuck, but this time in a tree. But <laughs> apparently they didn't use CGI, so all of the croc effects are real. Wow. Primeval? Primeval? Okay, I've heard of it, but I didn't know. Primeval, I'm going to say. From 2007, it's about a group of reporters that go to Africa to find a giant alligator. They do find it, but also find out that Africa has a lot of genocide issues. Apparently, they were kind of using this alligator and genocide as kind of... of allegory? Yeah, I don't know. It pissed off a lot of people, I think, that thought they were seeing a big, dumb alligator movie. And they they had to deal with African genocide. Yeah. Yeah. And now let's talk about leeches. (laughs) The first time I ever saw a leech was in Stand By Me from 1986. Still one of my favorite movies. Great movie Um, we talked about in Puke and Jizz. Yeah. There's a classic scene where the four guys go to wade across a small pond, and it turns out to be a lot deeper than they thought. So they swim to the other side, but when they get out, they're all covered in leeches. And then Will Wheaton pulls one out of his underpants, and he faints. Mm -hmm. I love that scene. That's a great scene. 
There's a scene in The African Queen where Audrey Hepburn helps pull the leeches off of Humphrey Bogart, and one in The Life Aquatic where Bill Murray comes out of the water with a group and he's covered in leeches but no one else is. I've never seen any of the Puppet Master movies, but apparently there's a scene where a puppet doll is on top of a man and leeches come out of her mouth and bite him. Oh, yeah. And a scene in Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events from 2004 but of course, I'm leading up to the movie Leeches from oh, 2003, <laughs> which bad is movie a Monday. bad movie Monday feature from a few months back. So let's talk about Leeches for <laughs> a let's, second. Let's talk about Leeches. What? I don't know. Or, I don't do you think know. That director is gay. Is a gay man. I, I hope so. Because yeah, he made the gayest he's... movie I've ever seen. <laughs> and I've seen some pretty gay movies. I'm, when I wrote it up, I mean, it really, it's it's it was gayer than Nightmare on Elm Street 2, yeah. which is the gayest movie up to this one. Right. If you've seen it, I don't know if you've seen it. I, it's been a while. It's gay. But um, this, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. There are just like numerous scenes of like showering, like nipple men. It's, it's all about every, a swim team. They're right? all in speedos. Everyone's all the time. in a swim t- speedo all the time. Everyone's like caressing their showered, like hairless, right. nippled bodies. There's butt scenes. It's so gay. It, if this was a better movie, I would think that it was just merely sort of switching the gender roles on like exploitation movies where they right. always fetishize women's bodies. Yeah, and that maybe they were trying to do. But no, but this. It's not, just, it's just yeah. Gay. I mean, if that's what he was trying to do, he did a terrible he job a of terrible it job because of it. that would have been a good movie. Yeah. yeah. But it's hilarious, and the leeches are awful. Oh, God, so stupid, yeah. But there, there is some reason why they are terrible leeches. Oh, yeah, leeches. because see, the swim team, they all did steroids. They were juicing, oh. and so when these leeches got on them, and they're sucking that the roid right. blood. The, 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 oh, the leeches HGH, get, yeah. like, they grew they get, the leeches to, like, human size, right. huge, and they just sucked people to death. So stupid. Well, so stupid. There too. It's, a, it's an enjoyable movie. It's just not, it's enjoyable because I just feel like I've never seen something like that yeah, before. It's, it's but it's ridiculous. not enjoyable because it's a good bad movie. Right, it's right. in it's general just... a bad movie. Yeah. There were a bunch of pretty mainstream underwater movies from around 1988 to 1990. Yeah. The first Leviathan is about an undersea mining operation that uncovers a scuttled ship. They soon realize that something from the ship has made it onto the boat and infested some of the seamen. <laughs> and grows. Thank you. I wrote a spot where Tom laughs. I wrote in parentheses, ha 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 ha. Oh, wow. But, you yeah. predicted that. And it grows inside their bodies and then escapes. It wasn't well reviewed at the time, but I watched it for the first time. I thought it was a pretty good movie. It was pretty good up until the end when you saw the big, huge, whatever it was, mud toad monster. Yeah. That was the worst part. The rest of it was pretty solid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting that like even it was like coming out of people's bodies, but then it was merging with the other person's But I mean, it was an interesting it was, concept. Yeah, it was a weird yeah. concept. I agree cool. with you. I didn't really love the special effects at the end but you know you're also watching a movie that's almost 40 years old now so it's like 30 years old yeah right yeah Math was late. <laughs> Deep Star Six was about a possibly alien race of sea lobsters. I remember Deep Star one? Six too. It was yeah, yeah. I didn't see it. It's not good. Um, it has a zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's pretty bad. Yeah. Mainly because they said the sea scorpions were apparently very dumb looking. Yeah, very stupid. And it's pretty bad. All right, Lords of the Deep was an underwater science lab. Nope, me no, neither. Uh, where some specimens start mutating into man-sized stingrays. Wow. Deep Rising, The Rift, and The Evil Below, all three of those movies were about various mutant sea monsters. The last one, The Abyss, actually didn't have any underwater sea creatures uh, and was the only one that actually made any money. And it was directed by Piranha 2's James Cameron. Yeah, and it's a good movie. They filmed it in a decommissioned like nuclear tower. They yeah. filled it up and put the set, and it was a grueling shoot and everything else, but it's a good movie. I like it. Yeah. Of course, when a genre like this does poorly at the box office, it usually shelves any upcoming plans to make an underwater movie. So it would be another 10 years before another genetically altered creature movie. 
this was the big dumb shark movie Deep Blue Sea in 1999. <laughs> wow. Deep Blue Sea is about a bunch of scientists that are investigating Alzheimer's disease and testing Mako shark brain matter as a cure. The sharks have all been given stuff to increase their brains, but of course that has just made them smarter than normal sharks, so they're better at eating all the scientists. Of course. Also, LL Cool J, isn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. my head is like a shark's fin. Yeah. Did you write anything about this part? No, no. So I, you know, I don't even think I saw it back in. It's that. not a very yeah, good. Yeah. It's not a good movie. But there's a scene in there, and it's really the only part worth seeing. And it's where Samuel Jackson is trying to rally everybody to fight the sharks or whatever. And he's like, you know, and he gives this great speech and this rousing speech, and he's like, and we are not going to quit or whatever. And right when he gets to the end, the shark comes out and grabs him uh-huh. and like yanks him into the water and, uh-huh. and eats him. So we're not going to fight anymore. We're going to pull together, and we're going to find a way to get out of here. First, we're going to seal off this Alright, so that brings us up to the 2000s. Yay. A movie I love was 2003's Open Water. Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah, indie story about uh, a couple that became stranded in the water after their boat mistakenly left them behind. True story. So here's a little history. In 1998, a couple named Tom and Eileen Lonergan. Lonergan. I I repronounce everything wrong. So so do I, yeah. Yeah, Smith. Tom and Eileen Smith. (laughs) Yep, that's them. Went out on a scuba dive in the Caribbean with a bunch of other tourists and were accidentally left behind. A day or so later, the boat captain found some of their stuff on the boat and went back to find them, but they were gone. A slew of controversial things and rumors would surface over the next few weeks, and the case was never solved. In the months and years later, some of their gear washed up on shore, but no bodies would ever be found. Open Water was a super minimalist film loosely based on the story, where a couple go out in the boat, and when the boat guy goes to do the person count, he counts the same two people twice, leaving them stranded. It's a short film. I mean, it's not a short film. It's a short feature film. Right. And it's mostly shot at kind of like water level, but the shark footage is all real. The filmmakers didn't want it to be a shark film, quotes shark film, where the second someone gets into the water, they're all dragged around and massacred by a shark. Instead, they wanted the sharks to circle for a long time and to be very menacing to kind of build tension. Yeah. They say they didn't intend it to be a shark film, but that's the way that it was marketed, along with a summer release date. And it worked. The film was made for half a million dollars and it grossed 55 million dollars worldwide yeah so it's a good movie and it's a good movie i mean it's depressing but it's a good movie yeah i can't say enough great things about piranha 3d from 2010 <laughs> I, I really like that as well yeah i saw it in the theater on opening weekend and the crowd cheered at the end it was so good yeah no everybody loved it yeah piranha hunt in packs the first bite draws blood blood draws the pack Rough plot, a lake town, I think it's California, but they have an earthquake which dislodges an underwater cavern. Prehistoric piranhas pour out and kill Richard Dreyfus in an homage to his character in Jaws. It's kind of one of the most meta jokes ever, since mm-hmm. he's playing the reincarnation of his character in a remake of a movie that was a knockoff of a movie that his character was in. Right. Anyway, spring break (laughs) is underway and the piranhas eat all the horrible drunk hot party teens. There's one major scene which is like 10 minutes of some of the most upsetting and amazing like mass carnage killings I've ever seen. Yeah, no, there's some disturbing parts It's really gross. They go for every single gross opportunity they're presented. I said it was a five-star film. 
There was a sequel, Piranha DD, a few years ago, but it wasn't good. I guess that's double D for boobs. Right. For boobs, what I mean. yeah. boobs. Do you want to talk about some of the upsetting scenes? Yeah, well, I didn't write them down, I, well, but I can let's remember Let's start them. with the ridiculous ones. There's one, I don't remember, right, let me, I know that there was a scene where all that was left was a girl's boob implants and they float up. Correct, okay, correct. Okay, that was yeah. ridiculous. Okay, there's the scene where it bites off, what's, a, what's his name? Jerry O'Connell's yeah. dick. And so his dick 3D. is like sinking in the water and a piranha bites it. Two of them fight over it. One of them eats it, and you think it's over. Then the prana swims out of frame, swims back in frame, and like barfs it back up, and it's all mangled. Right, and you see it in 3D. If you saw it in the theater, it's floating dick in 3D. Yeah. No, Mm -hmm. it's pretty impressive. We talked about it last night. The hair stuck. Okay, so there's a part where they're all just attacking all these people that are out on the boat drinking or whatever, and so part of the carnage is just the panic of people trying to get away right. with get away from them and somebody's head gets smashed that's eli ross head eli ross has a cameo on a boat like a boat smashed his head yeah then there's a scene where this one woman they're, they're trying to start a boat to get away from the piranhas this woman's in the water her hair gets caught in the propeller and they kind of she's like screaming it's for like them to stop minutes. and yeah. then they're trying oh, to start so it and grueling. she's like and her hair is all caught in it and you're like oh this is just fucked that was that was the worst scene for me then he finally turns it the propeller turns and it rips basically her whole face off because it pulls yeah. her hair and it pulls and her, her whole her face, face off. off. Yeah, it's really gross. Yeah. Um, there's terrible. a scene where two like law enforcement people are carrying a woman. And so like one's carrying like the butt and her legs and the other one's carrying like her back and then shoulders and head. And she splits apart. Yeah. And she's screaming while she's splitting apart. It's really gross. That yeah. was really rough. A lot of gross parts in there. Really gross parts. I also really liked, what do you, t- what do, you do when you're like parasailing? There's like a woman parasailing behind a boat and the guys are watching her titties follow the movie's so many titties it's you've never t- seen so many titties. titties all over the place and she's like you know in the parachute like behind the boat like holding on you know to the thing and when they dip her down when they pull her back up the piranhas have like eaten her from like the waist down oh. so they're like yeah girl with your titties out and she's like ah they dip her down in the water and when they pull her back up she's like dead like and half like eaten. missing half of yeah. her body a lot of grossness it's really upsetting i love this movie. who directed this alexander aja or aha I don't know. The guy that also did High Tension and The Hills Have Eyes. Yeah, the remake for Hills Have Eyes. Yeah. Okay. All right. We're about to be all caught up to present day, but there was a good movie called The Reef in 2010 that was kind of similar to Open Water. Yeah. Five friends are on a yacht and it capsizes, leaving them stranded in the water. They spend most of the movie on the underside of the upside down boat. And though they can see land, there's a great white that is between them and land. Decent movie, actually. You see that one? Mm-mm, yeah, I haven't seen that one. The last one I'll talk about is Beneath from 2013, which is about some high school seniors that take a canoe out into a lake for some reason, and a prehistoric-looking giant fish picks them off one by one. Huh. Not a good movie, really, at all, since it revolves around the kind of D-level tension between the characters on the boat. Mm. But it's a quick watch, and it's fun to see people get eaten, so... Oh, yeah, everybody loves that. Yeah. We're pretty caught up now, and I don't think I have to tell you where we are in underwater slaughter history now. Cable has taken over the B-movie. Right. And so now we have Sharknado 1 through 4, Ghost Shark, which we watched together, (laughs) Two-Headed Shark Attack, Three-Headed Shark Attack, Avalanche Sharks, Dino Shark, Jersey Shore Shark Attack, Jurassic Shark, Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus, Mega Shark versus Crocosaurus, Mega Shark versus Mecha Shark, Piranha Sharks, Malibu Shark Attack, Sharktopus, Sharktopus versus Terracuda, Sharktopus, Terracuda, Sharktopus versus Whale Wolf, 
and Zombie Shark. <laughs> Interesting side note, though, Roger Corman has been producing a lot of these titles for of sci-fi. He has. So it's kind of like we've come full circle. circle back I don't have a problem with the shitty B movie sci-fi. You know, I, I don't have I a problem with them. Sharknado. They're fine. Yeah. They're so stupid, and but they're self-aware. And you yeah. know, I guess if I had one complaint, it's just that they're doing so many things, so on the cheap, such shitty effects. You know, kind of they're intentionally doing shitty effects. It's like they're really beating it, really beating it hard. And I, I mean, I think yeah, I hope we can come back and actually have some good underwater slaughter movies after this. That's funny you bring that up. This year, a movie's coming out called The Shallows. I saw the trailer for it. Yeah. So I forgot who's directing it, and I can't even remember who's starring in it. But yeah. I saw the commercial, looks good. and it's not a Sharknado anything. It right. looks like it's kind of back into that open water slash yeah type of looks survival. Good. I think it's going to be out by the time this episode comes good. out. So, so maybe we can do check a, it out. We'll do a um, post on uh, it yeah. if we get a chance. Yep. Postscript. I just saw The Shallows, and I really enjoyed it. It was a bit heavy on backstory for my taste. I generally like a little simpler of a film when it comes to Woman Against Shark, but I'm really glad I saw it. It has a very upsetting dead whale. It has killer jellyfish, and it even has a um, kind of Wilson-esque from Castaway type seagull that kind of helps propel the movie along, which I enjoyed. Not the best movie I've ever seen, but certainly well worth an hour and a half. All right, so that's it. That's Underwater Slaughter. Um, nice. But of course, I have a few honorable mentions, and I know that you probably have a couple that you want to talk about, okay. too. Yeah, There's sure. a, so many to go through, so I had to leave some stuff out. But here's a couple of honorable mentions. Creep Show 2. Yes. Yeah, so the short story, it's The, best the Raft, part of that movie. Yeah, based on a Stephen King story, is uh, a bunch of uh, stupid teenagers go swimming out onto a raft, yep. you know, a, a wooden raft, mm-hmm. and a blob of black stuff the black blob oily thing yeah is out there. i always thought that it was oil when i read this the it book, looked like but in this it one it was more like it's, gunk, ten, it's gunky, gunky oily stuff whatever. In it or whatever yeah and they can't get back to land because every time you touch the oily gunk it like eats you but it's yeah. not a it's not a moving creature it's like a substance it's a substance and it kind of it floats around but it's yeah. not it's, yeah it's just a big yeah. oily thing so that's not really a thing but i kind of thought it was worth that mentioning. part of that movie is pretty is good that's a good it's a again it's an anthology movie right just like the first creep it's show it's the best one of the four yeah yeah yeah, it's really good have you ever heard of this movie called cyclone from 1978 no okay so i watched it first off it's amazing i can't tell whether it was like a foreign film that was dubbed i mean i don't think it was i think it was in english it was just dubbed later but it has like a plane crash the people from the plane crash end up on a stranded boat with other boat people they're running out of water or whatever and there's a dog on it they eat the dog Hmm. um they have to resort to cannibalism to survive on this boat and it's like super super grueling and then as they're just about to get rescued like the boat capsizes they're all in the water and then sharks start picking them all off Oh, I wow. mean, it's bonkers town. Really? It's from 1978 called Cyclone. I'll have to check really that out. Really kind of good, you know. Is, is it, it online? Yeah, it is. You can watch the whole thing online. Really, really interesting, low budget, you know, kind of exploitation oh, movie. Wow. There's a giant octopus scene in The Goonies, and it was cut out. Oh, so wow. this is one of movie history things. At the very end of The Goonies, when they're talking about everything that happened to them after they've become rescued from the pirate ship, yeah. one of them goes, the octopus was really scary. It was Data. He's like, the octopus was really scary. And you as the audience is like, what are you talking about? There's what no octopus. About? Yeah. And so you're like, oh, they're just lying. But then everything else they say actually happened. And so you're like, why are they talking about an octopus? So there was a giant octopus scene in The Goonies, but it looked so stupid and fake when they were done that they cut it out. Oh, wow. You can see it online. They actually have it on the uh, special features of the movie. 
movie. It's so shitty. Like, it? yeah, it was directed by Richard Donner, and you would think he would have done a little bit better. Because Goonies is a great movie. No, it's it has a, movie. a lot of really great, you great know, like set pieces effects. and effects. Yeah, yeah, really, really good. But the octopus scene was pretty terrible. Well, at least they knew it and cut it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slugs from 1987. <laughs> so slugs are not a water creature. Slugs no, are certainly land. not. But do you remember the opening scene? Oh, where they're in the they're in like a canoe. Oh, that's right. And, and the, the guy puts his foot overboard, and then I guess water slugs eat him. I don't. Are technically leeches, aren't they? Yeah. So that was really weird, <laughs> right? Because those aren't slugs, but it was an underwater slaughter. So perhaps a steroid roided out swimmer in a speedo pulled him under with maybe leeches. so. Maybe he was slug. like, "Listen, I'm from leeches, and <laughs> want to have gay sex with you." <laughs> One of our listeners, Andrea, brought up the omission of the host in 2007, uh, which when we talked about toxic waste, so I thought that I'll cover it here. Yeah. I w- wouldn't really consider it for this one, I guess, because it's kind of a, well, what was it? It was like some sort of mutated fish thing. Okay. So I guess probably I could have included it. Yeah. So the host, for those who know, is a Korean movie, and its premise is actually based in a true story. There were some U.S. military personnel, like scientists or doctors or something, and they had dumped stuff in the Han River. The Han River is like its main river in Korea. It's this big river. Yep. It cuts right through Seoul. And I guess they dumped a bunch of this formaldehyde and toxic stuff in the river, and it was a big controversy or whatever. So this movie's predicated on that happening, and then it grew to this big monster years it's later. It's like a tentacle monster. Yeah. yeah. And it, it was a, a, kind of a running, fishy, multi-mouth, yeah. weird thing. The opening scene, you see it kind of fall in the water and swim around, and people are throwing trash at it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then it comes out of the water and starts chasing people, and it's a it's a good scene, it's a yeah. good shot. And incidentally enough, when I was in the military, I lived in Seoul, and where they filmed it on the riverbank, because I lived right on the Han River, and that's like a mile away from where I lived. Yeah, like yeah. that bank, I'd been in that spot. It's so I would be going down there all the time. I was waiting for the fish monster to come. Yeah, out. did you ever see it? Never saw the I'm fish glad monster. You made it out alive. But yeah. I will tell you what, though, I get it that it was fucked up that they dumped formaldehyde in there. But I'm gonna tell you. I saw some fucked up shit in the Han River. Yeah, yeah. Especially during monsoon season. All types of shit float down that river. So you can't tell me formaldehyde is the worst thing in there. I've seen worse <laughs> in the Han River. So I'm just saying. Yeah. Know, not trying to knock Korea, but yeah. All right. Well, that brings us pretty much up to date. I got one other alibi here. Yeah. But there's a movie called Shockwave. And it's, I don't know if it's from like 77 or 78. Mm-hmm. And it's about these genetically modified Nazis okay. that could breathe underwater. Okay. And this was like years ago and on this remote island mm-hmm. where they did this experiment. So these boaters get caught up in this island. And so they're hunted down by these like underwater breathing Nazis. Interesting. Like fish gill people. Yeah. Um, and they'll drag them back in the water and drown them or fuck them with them or stab them or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, it's a hokey movie, except it's really like there's a scene and you can find it online. It's creepy when you see Nazis walking out of the water, like gill Nazi, like right. and they all have these like goggles on and they're all like pale face skin mm-hmm. and stuff, but they're all just kind of walking out of the surf yeah. to drag people in there. Uh-huh. So it's a, it's a pretty creepy, effective movie. But, okay. you know, hey, there's your underwater breathing Nazi slaughter people. I there don't you know. go. There yeah. you go. So that's, sure. a, that's a change. You're like, uh-huh. sure, whatever. Right. Get out of my podcast. <laughs> well, no, I was just thinking that wouldn't I couldn't uh, do that because those are people in costumes. Oh, that's right. So, that's right. That's, yeah, oh, okay, no that's right. But it, in costumes, but it was yeah. yeah, that's right. Well, forget it then. Good. Edit so, did you like this one? I love this one. Yeah. Um, I think it's great. I think it's a good finale to our season. Yeah. 
I do want to do one reference. So there's this guy online. His name is Jamie Benning. Okay. And he's been making filmumentaries. It's kind of like director's commentary, but mm-hmm. it's every person who's ever been a part of the movie commentating on it. So like there's one for Jaws, which I used as reference. It's like three hours long. It's oh, wow. fascinating. Oh, I bet, I bet it is fascinating. So cool. They show like sketches and like pictures that townspeople were taking while they were filming it. Oh, that's like, cool. It's the director's commentary, like turned up to like 11. It's oh, that's amazing. really, really cool. So check nice. it out. I'll put it on the website. All right, so this is the last episode of, last episode uh, of season, season two. two. Yeah. So yeah, like we said, we'll be back. Uh, we plan to be back at early December. Yep. So you know, around three, right around winter time, we'll we'll be back in your ear with more fucked up shit. Yeah. Hope you enjoyed this season. We enjoyed doing it. Yeah. Thanks a lot, and um, have a good summer, everybody. Yep. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Slums of Film History. You can find us on the web at slumsoffilmhistory.com where you can view links to some of the movies we talk about today, along with pictures, videos, and additional resources, as well as Bad Movie Monday, our recommendation for the worst of the worst films every Monday night. If you want to keep up with us, we're on Facebook and Twitter, where we share out a lot of additional content. And as always, please fact check us and let us know if we left anything out. We're not professionals, just two friends that love gross movies. He imagined a story about a shark, a shark, a shark, a shark attack. <laughs> it's terrible. That's awful.